Blog Talk Radio. On this, but I want to ask you here because I think this is a question that comes up a lot, especially when it comes to talking about the soul and what yes. role the actual soul plays with us. You know, we have the mind, the body, and some yeah. would say the soul and the connection that it plays in our transformation as becoming gods and goddesses yes. walking on this earth. What is that connection between the soul, and, and, and what do we need that for in our transformation? The soul is all there really is. Everything else is a projection of the soul. And this particular soul, when it starts to wake itself up, which is a sun, S-U-N-S-O-N. Right. You see what I'm saying? A star. Every man, every woman is a star. Whenever it starts to wake itself up, it, it, it does various things. Some souls are still asleep. So, therefore, in place of it, the ego exists and su- supposes itself to be the individual. That's most people. But but then when the soul starts to wake up, it starts to send signals to the consciousness to remember itself. So you start reading, you start studying, and you start, you know, going into this particular consciousness. Now, there's several distractions in there because when the soul is trying to do it, the ego is still involved. And it's a hard process because you can get distracted again, which means the ego can go, hey, this soul is waking up, but I still love it. I want to be, I want to exist. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a part of this knowledge that ultimately will wake this soul up, and I'm going to have this person get locked in one of the areas of the knowledge. And it will suppose itself it's being knowledge, but because it is locked into one area, that's nothing but a form of ego. That's why they say master nothing. So the story goes in the in the in the Holy Grail. They got a a a, 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 a knight called Parzival. Parzival is a knight that was raised in the country by his mother. His father was a knight. The father gets killed. The mother says it's a horror story. Basically, the father was a knight. The father gets killed. The mother says I don't want him to be no knight. So she raises him way in the woods, and he plays with nature and everything. And so one day. He's out there in the woods, and he sees a shining knight in a silver shining suit. And he said, oh, my God, that's God. So he runs and tells his mom, he runs and tells his mama, say, Mom, I want to be a knight. And she almost faints. But she knows he's getting to be 18 now, and she can't hold him forever. So she has one of these plans. She takes him and, and shows him up a court jester's uniform and says, this is the uniform of a knight. So her plan is when he come there looking like a clown at King Arthur's court, <laughs> they, they will laugh him out of the court and he will run back home and never want to be a knight again. So he rides off to King Arthur's court. As soon as he rides off, she falls off dead. And the reason why she falls out dead because when you're on this bridge, if you try to go backwards, you fall, fall, fall. You can never go backwards. You can never go home. Mm-hmm. So now, so what happens here is he gets to the court, night's court, and they are laughing and laughing and laughing at him with his court just in such a ridiculous outfit till it gets the ear of King Arthur. Thus, he he's able to go into, it works the opposite. He's able to go right in front of King Arthur because of this funny outfit. And later on, he ends up becoming a knight, but 
this is, now this is the key. All of the knights were proficient and masters, but they were always masters at one discipline. Right. Which means that you are still locked in a box. Whereas Parzival, because he was not raised into knighthood, it came from humble origins, he was able to get the Holy Grail when the other ones were not able to get the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail is, i.e., his own soul and rise to the God level. That's what the mystery is. He is able to get the Holy Grail for the simple fact that by him not mastering the discipline, he was able to ride through all of the disciplines. You see what I'm saying? And get the... And, and, and get the... His own soul. So mastering, you master something, but if you master one section, you're only inflating your ego. By him being the divine fool, which is the tarot card, it's called the fool. And it is the only tarot card that can be used throughout the entire deck. It masters all. So that's what the humility is. So in so many words, you have to trick the ego to keep letting you go. So give me an example. Um, back in '08, back in '98, I, I produced my dark side lectures and started explaining all this stuff based on the dark side. Right. Now I became famous with it, but I could have used it as a theology and say that's what I'm an expert at and that's all I'm gonna do. Right. And I would have got stuck. Hell, I'm, I'm talking about fucking archangels now <laughs> in the relationship. So you never get stuck. You never turn anything into a theology, and that is the reason why. Most of these systems that people initiate in, they're never going to work because they are only a fragment of something, and ultimately the ego can latch on to that. So in so many words, the soul sends this particular information so it can get to know itself, so it can remember who it is. You see what I'm saying? But the ego is there for distraction. But the soul is all there really is, and it's an entire maze between the soul and you. And, and you. And so what you have to ultimately do is to surrender and give up and say, I don't exist. So what I had to do is I had to get rid of Bobby Hemmings. Right. You see, and all that was dear to me, you see. That way you can eliminate the possibility of the ego latching on. Bobby Hemmings ain't around now for the ego to latch on. You see what I'm saying? I ain't got no goddamn scruples. <laughs> None. No scruples whatsoever. You see what I'm saying? Right. You know. Ain't nothing to it. Real one. Ain't nothing to it. Boss. Ain't nothing to it. Real one. Ain't nothing to it. Boss.
Yeah. Hundred million crib, three million watch, all facts, no cap, false. Nigga, you not a boss, you got a boss. Niggas getting jerked, that shit hurts, I take it personally. Niggas rather work for the man than to work with me. Just so they can pretend they on my level, that shit is irking to me. Pride always going before the fall, almost certainly. It's disturbing what I grow. What I grow. Survey says you not even close. Everybody's bosses to the time to pay for the office. To them invoices separate the men from the boys over here. We measure success for how many people successful next to you. Here we say you broke if everybody is broke except for you. Ow. Ain't nothing to it. Real one. Radio Network on the planet. Evolution Radio.
and uh, it's a real privilege and an honor to be able to make my presentation to you today because uh, I feel that I am a student. I don't try to portray myself as an expert in anything. I'm not a professional archaeologist. My background, as Uma said, is in journalism, so it's my job to be able to take this vital, important information that, that's really vital for all of our people and to try to make it accessible and understandable, put it in everyday language, and that's what our magazine is about. What I want to talk to you about today is the lost history of black Americans. I'm talking not only about the blacks that are here north of the Rio Grande, but through our entire American continents, north and south. It started for me when I traveled through Mexico about 11 years ago. And I went to a place called Tres Zapotes, or the Three Shoes, which is on the Atlantic coast of Mexico. And there I saw, in a museum, this magnificent sculpture of a stone head nine feet tall, weighs 40 tons, magnificently done of obviously a black African portrayed in a kind of a helmet or a crown. I learned that there were about 18 or 19 of these which were found all along the coast of Mexico and that they were all reliably dated to 1,200 years before Christ. In other words, 3,200 years ago. They belonged to a civilization called the Olmecs. Now, when I saw this great head, I thought, well, this couldn't possibly, possibly be a black American, but it, it looks like it. Then I investigated the others. I saw the others. They also portrayed different black Americans, some with full features, some with thinner ones, different, different individuals. And yet the archaeologists tell us that no, there was no one over here from either Africa or Europe or Asia before Columbus. That is what I was told when I went to school, and it's what the archaeologists and what the establishment teachers still tell people, that there was no contact between the Americas and the ancient world before Columbus. I found that beyond this collection of these great stone heads that belong to this Olmec civilization, that there was a lot more information which is not getting out to the general public about this previous black civilization. It was a black civilization that was here. Now, to give you an idea when this civilization flourished 3,200 years ago, what was going on in the rest of the world at that time? Well, there was no Europe. There was only part of Greece. Troy was the big powerful city at the time. There was no Rome. Egypt was a great power. There was a power going on in China. But more importantly for our discussion here, there was also a great power here in the Americas. We call it Olmec, the civilization, the first known civilization. It means rubber, and it refers to a great ball which these people used to build, make, for a sacred ball game. Uh, the word Olmec is an, a term which archaeologists use just to identify these people. They don't know what they were called. Now, if it was only those stone heads, figure, well, maybe it's coincidence or something. But about 1920, a Polish anthropologist was doing work in Yucatan, right in Trest Zapotes, and he found the remains of several burials 
of black people that dated back before Columbus in this very same area. On top of that, throughout the rest of this century, smaller sculpture has been found in the Olmec area, definitely portraying black people and related to this first civilization. Now, when these great black heads were first found in 1862, the Mexican, the European, and the American archaeologists said, well, these were just happened to be slaves who were blown overseas and they made statues of them. But yet the local people there, the native people, referred to those as black kings, sometimes as African kings. Also, if you have a slave, you're not going to create this huge, magnificent monument to someone that's the lowest part of society. You only create giant monuments to your most important people in society. On top of that, all of these great heads that were found were not just laying out in the open. They had been ritually buried with reverence, which means that they probably were great monuments at one time and that there was a period of mourning and then they were ritually buried, sort of you interred the greatness of this person. To give you an idea how magnificent these stone heads are, I should mention one thing before I forget too. Uh, the archaeologists say, oh no, they don't represent black Americans, black Africans at all. They represent uh, a kind of Indians. But they resemble, as you'll see in the slides here tonight, nothing resembling Native American Indians. On top of that, they are all crafted out of black basalt. Not, in other words, the basalt was chosen specifically to represent a black person, someone with black skin. They weigh 40 tons and they were quarried in a, a mountain area that was 50 miles away, quarried there and sculpted there, beautifully sculpted, and then transported more than 50 miles to the capital of the Olmec civilization. Well, that's why he can sit there, that's all right. That'd be the same thing today as if you went, say, out to Gainesville, uh, Georgia, uh, found a boulder, crafted it perfectly, and by hand uh, were able to transport it, this 90-ton uh, work, all the way to the downtown uh, Atlanta area. So whoever did this, they were obviously a great people with social organization on the same par of their artistic achievement. This is by no means the end for evidence of blacks in the Americas. Uh, a mound, a ceremonial mound, was opened in the year 1901 in northern Wisconsin, outside of the Apostle Islands. Now that's extreme north part of Wisconsin, right on the uh, Upper Great Lakes. When this mound was opened in 1901, the, the bones did not look Native American, and the skulls especially did not look Native Americans. Uh, Native Americans, you can tell almost at a glance that they are Native American skulls because the teeth they meet, the upper and lower jaws, they have either no overbite or very little overbite. These jaws had pronounced overbite. So when the archaeologists found these skulls, they began to think, well, who do these people represent? So from that overbite, they investigated the rest of the jaw structure, the cheekbone structure, the periantals, this area up here, and unquestionably, they belong to black people. Now, to be interred in a mound was a sign of honor. 
Uh, the average person, the average person uh, in the Native American cultures in Wisconsin, when they died, they were usually buried under the floorboards of the house. <laughs> went down further and further. You, you, kept the, you kept the family, literally, in your domicile. Or else, if they were common people, workers and so on, they were just buried anonymously in Potter's Field. The mounds were reserved exclusively for regents, kings, shamans, priests, the movers and shakers of society. These four black men that were found in this mound were laid out respectfully with copper goods. Now there's a key there. What were these ancient blacks doing up in northern Wisconsin more than a thousand years ago? And why with copper goods? The upper Great Lakes of our country forms the richest deposits of copper on earth. Among the largest, but more importantly, the richest, the highest grade copper. It appears that these black Africans were in the upper Great Lakes mining that copper. We do know, for example, that the upper Great Lakes area was the scene of a massive, complex, highly sophisticated copper mining operation. It was so complex that whoever these ancient people were, they dug a trench five miles long, were able to drill 60 feet through solid rock to remove this high-grade copper, and they were able to remove, while they were working up there, an astounding half a billion pounds of copper. Now, the Native American Indians they used copper, it was known as float copper. They'd pick it up off the ground and they'd make it into bracelets and so on. They didn't use much of it. Somebody was involved in making huge amounts of copper mining. Now, who could that have been? Well, if you look on the other side of the world, there were black kingdoms in West Africa, some of them known as Ghana and Mali. And if you study those cultures, and a lot's known about them because they lasted all the way to about 1400 A.D. when the Arabs came in. These people were great goldsmiths, great metallurgists. They used lots of copper. Now, what's interesting, folks, is in that area of Africa, there are not many great deposits of copper. Where do they get all this wonderful copper? It's also known that these Africans were tremendous seafarers. They had things known as power canoes, in which there were 60 men manning these canoes. Then, on the other side of the United States. In California, you had a black tribe. And I will show you a, uh, a drawing that was made from life, a beautiful illustration from life, of a man decked out in a kind of an Indian getup, but he is definitely not an Indian. He is a black person. What are we to make of all this? These wonderful comparisons. First of all, there is no doubt whatsoever, regardless of what the establishment archaeologists say, that there were sizable numbers of black people in the Americas, and they were not slaves blown out overseas by mistake. They actually had come here for specific economic and cultural purposes. They raised kingdoms here. Um, let me just quote from my notes. I don't like to normally do that, but there's so much information here. My brain is so small, I can't get all this stuff down. Um, one of the things that's interesting is that there was a 16th century historian. His name was Peter Martyr. This was a man who was with the Spanish expeditions to Mexico. He was an eyewitness to the Spanish conquest. And in his chronicles, he writes exactly what happened. And Peter Martyr, who accompanied Balboa, you know, the guy that was looking for the fountain of youth to Florida, they actually saw native blacks in Florida in the year 1513. There was also a priest by the name of Gregoria Garcia. 
He said that there were blacks on an island north of Colombia, again in the 16th century, and that the people in Panama referred to a Negro king or a black king who had just recently died. Uh, Garcia's associate, his name was Bartholomew Las Cosas, he reported blacks in Florida. They even wrote down the names of these black tribes. Um, the black tribes were known as the uh, Jamasi of Florida, the Caribbees of St. Vincent's, and the Chirusas of Brazil. And they were regarded as indigenous black people. In other words, they were there before the Spanish arrived. When the Spanish arrived, they just immediately enslaved them. Uh, those that survived the diseases that were introduced by the Spaniards. So very little of what is known about them beyond these reports exists today. Now since this information has come out, there has been great strides made in DNA. You're all familiar with the O.J. Simpson trial, how they can get blood types down. And in this DNA research, they've been anthropologists, archaeologists, using computers, have been able to trace the different races that inhabited the Americas before the Spaniards arrived. One of the groups they've traced definitely are Mongoloid that came across the Bering Straits. Now, these terms that I'm using have no social bearing. So when I say Negro or Negroid, it's the same I'm using Caucasoid or Mongoloid. These are scientific terms to identify people. They, I'm not talking in, in social terms. People that came across the Bering Straits, we know about, okay, were Mongoloid, definitely became the Indians and so on. Two, at least two black strains, pre-Columbian they call them, before Columbus here, existed in America. One of those strains, those black strains, is unequivocally traced back to West Africa. This is revealed in some of the sculpture, the Olmec sculpture, which shows some of the blacks with a peripheral ridge, barely perceptible a peripheral ridge around the lips. That is traced to a genetic type found in Ghana. It shows you also how excellent the artist was in portraying a real life person. Heat makers. Heat makers. Crack music. Crack music. Crack music. Crack music. Crack. I put it all on the line. Now I'm out here living my life. Put it all on the line like clothes hanging out the dry Used to pack the fire, my clip hanging out the side Put the club back and push while we hanging out the ride Since a young boy, man, the gang been outside Pointing at the cars that belong to the dealers Now we pointing by cars when we going in the dealer Just had the same jeweler for at least the last 20 Being out of the crib and I was down on my last 20 Cause they shit when you down to your last penny Three homes, one bad mortgage, a crash family You try to block me out of the check race to make you be the reason for my next case Best times, now I'm living my best life Two niggas that I wanna see, I 
on my next life Talk about that white girl cause she was my ex-wife I was cooking up the coke like I was scrambling egg whites but, And plus I got a problem with attachment Bad she won't catch in the party being ratchet She know that I'm a G, I be in parties with my ratchet The way she threw it back, you know what, you have to catch it She asked if I was wild, I said yeah, I could be reckless Drop a cord on her, drop another hundred on the necklace She tried to get before we hit the exit So I parked and dropped the top and watched them both get naked We'll be right back after these messages on Evolution Radio. This is the New Evolution Radio Network. Uh, I am, you know, I don't like to use the word host, you know. Um, so, you know, because that, that, that's such a, you have to look at how we use words, right? Now, we always have to remember that as we get into this topic tonight, right? So, I will not call myself the host. I will call myself the presenter. How about that? The educator for the night, right? So, that's what we, that's what I am tonight. <laughs> I'm here to educate you. I'm here. Going to tonight. It's an important topic. I think that uh, if you know you're having issues with contracts, uh, issues with people, issues with really anything, um, you know that we could essentially put under a doctrine of unclean hands. This would be the episode for you to, to dive into. Okay? And we're going to deal with that tonight. This is part two of the Remedy Show. Um, if you didn't check out last week's episode, make sure that you do. All right, call in number 516-531-9318. That is a new call-in number. So the old number you can, you can get rid of. All right? All right, so let's just jump right into it tonight. I don't want to waste a lot of time. Uh, what we're dealing with tonight is what's known as the unclean hands doctrine, right? And I thought that this would be a, a good doctrine to bring up. 
especially when we talk about equitable defenses, right? Mm-hmm. Equitable defenses are important because they help you in equity, right? And a lot of times, I, you know, people think that for whatever reason, you know, in this country, that all there are statutes, and, and there is equity. Men have equity. Women have equity. You know, hell, in some instances, animals have equity. You understand? So, I really wanted to, you know, to make sure that we talked about this particular remedy tonight. Uh, because an equitable defense that bars the lease to a party who is essentially engaged in some type of inequitable behavior, which means some type of deceit, fraud, uh, unconscionability, uh, bad faith, any of that type of stuff that's related to a claim can fall under an equitable defense, right? And so there are elements that we have to look at, right? And the element, the unclean hands doctrine, applies to cases where a plaintiff has acted unethically, right? And, you know, ethics is everything. You know, attorneys have to follow the ethics code. You know, I don't know if y'all ever knew this or not, but, you know, if, if you hire an attorney, the attorney doesn't do something for you, you report them to the ethics committee, right? It's, it's an ethical issue. See, there's equity and things that you didn't even know that there were equity in, okay? So the circumstances that lead to a suit <coughs> generally result from unclean hands, right? So, you know, and, and it's so funny, right? Because if you say unclean hands, people think that you're talking about <coughs> um, you know, somebody not washing their hands, even though that is unclean hands, but we're talking about equitable unclean hands, okay, which its intent is to keep a person from abusing the justice system when we talk about the equitable doctrine. Because people abuse the justice system. Lawyers abuse it. Judges abuse it. Clerks abuse it. Right? And so I'm here and, and this is this is purely educational information. How you choose to use it is on you. Right? But I'm here to try to help set the record straight in the spirit of good faith, goodwill, right? In the spirit of doing things correctly. And so and I and I believe that if you if you do things the right way, right, with honor. In equity, then you know good things always come back to you. So, when we talk about this, right, we have to deal with the clean hands doctrine as well as the unclean hand doctrine, right? So sometimes the clean hands doctrine, okay, or they call it the dirty hands doctrine, is is the equitable defense in which the defendant argues that the plaintiff is not entitled to obtain, okay, they're not entitled to obtain equitable remedy. Is what is normally argued because the plaintiff is acting unethically or has in some way has some type of bad faith. Okay, but the defendant has the burden of proof to show that the plaintiff is not acting in good faith. See, I get you know, and I I try not to go too much um, into you know personal shit, but you know I, I get people who who I deal with clients, you know, who who move in bad faith. You know, believe it or not, it can go both ways, you know. And I'm sure we've dealt with this in business before, right? You deal with this with family. You'll deal with this with friends. This is something that you could essentially, 
<laughs> this is something that could occur in real life in, in a lot of different instances. All right. So we're going to dive into this tonight. And part of the reason why I bring this up is because a lot of people are now operating in trust. I don't know to the extent that most people are, but I know a lot of individuals are. Right. And so um, I think that we could bring this up tonight in the spirit of also looking at the trustee. Right. Because does a trustee have a duty to operate with clean hands? You're right. He does. All right. So, um, and by the way, if you want to chime in, you can feel free to, to jump in and holler at me at any point in time. Okay. But as we dive into this tonight, right, and we, we deal with this doctrine of unclean hands, um, one of the things that I wanted to really deal with, you know, especially when we talk about trust is, you know, we have to look at what the duty is of somebody who has unclean hands, right? And so we're going to deal with this stuff tonight. We're going to take a really quick break, real quick, and then when we jump back, we will um, go into the topic. All right? We'll be right back. you right here on the bottom line on New Evolution Radio Network. Press 1 if you want to holler at me. Peace to the God.
All right, we back. We're going to jump right into it tonight. Um, so, as we get into this, I want to talk about, and I want to bring this up, right, because um, this is what's known as uh, pari delecto, right? So, so, for example, if a trustee brings a claim against an attorney on behalf of a company, and if the company was involved in some type of wrongful act that served as the basis for the claim, uh, what they call the impari delecto defense may bar the claim. So, pari delecto, right? Basically, if two parties complain, right, but the other party did something too, it, both parties can become liable. And this is why clean hands goes both ways, right? And so, I'll give you an example, and then we'll dive into this information. So, um, the equitable defense, right, impari delecto, which literally means uh, in equal fault. Is rooted in the common law notion that a plaintiff's recovery can be barred by his own wrongful conduct. Okay, so traditionally the defense was limited to situations where the plaintiff bore at least substantially equal responsibility for whatever the injury was, however they was injured, right? And where the parties are culpable, it arises out of the same legal acts. So we're talking about legal acts, right? So in, in contemporary courts, uh, it's been explained, essentially, and, and, and even expanded, right, uh, when it comes to, to the defense and what the defense has. But when we talk about the application of situations, they look really closely um, at the unclean hands doctrine, right? And they look at, well, who was in the wrong? Who was in the right? Who, who did this? Who did that, right? So they look at shit like that, especially in courts of equity, right? This is kind of where we get, and you know, I would say that this is this tends to work a lot better a lot of times in situations where <laughs> and this tends to work better in situations where you're in equity court, but equity can be brought up at any time and really any court because there's the constitution, there is the fact that these people took oaths and they have oaths on record which are backed up by their bonds. Okay. So Nevertheless, right, in separate opinions, uh, five different justices recognize that a narrow, more traditional formulation should be available in private actions under, what's, under what we call the, uh, the antitrust laws. Okay, so this kind of goes into what we're, we're dealing with tonight. Now, in, uh, there's, a, you know, there's a case known as Bateman-Elcher, right? In the Bateman-Elcher case, the court addressed the scope of this pari delecto defense in the context of an action that's brought by securities investors, alleging that defendants had induced the plaintiffs to purchase large quantities of stock by divulging false and material incomplete information on the pretext that it was accurate inside information. So the court concluded that the views expressed in uh, permalife applied with full force to implied causes of action. Okay, under the federal securities law, which is why if you're going to dive into that realm, you really need to know what Rule 144A is, right? So you need to understand securities, right? Because um, it's really easy to get screwed in that particular realm. Okay? Now, the court concluded that the views expressed were under the securities laws, okay? And under 472 U.S. and 310, accordingly, it held that impari delecto defense is available only where, as a direct result of a person's actions, the plaintiff bears 
at least substantially equal responsibility for violations he seeks to redress and preclusion of a suit would not significantly interfere with the effective enforcement of the securities law, right? And uh, protection of the investing public. This is why they have shit in place where certain people can invest in securities, right? Uh, you know, without having, well, I should say certain people can get you to invest in their securities, and they call those, um, what is the word? Something investment. I can't, it's the tip of my tongue. But basically, uh, what it is is if you have over like a million dollars, right? Um, you are not a um, investor that that they would essentially um, consider to be. What's the word here? Because um, I want to say I want to make sure that I'm saying you're right, right? Because if you don't have a certain amount of money, it's considered you know that they, they can take advantage of you. If you got over a certain amount of money, you're more secured, right? And so. And, and I apologize if it comes to me. I'll look at it over the break. But the the second prong that they looked at, right, which embodies the doctrine's traditional requirements, is that the public policy implications be carefully considered before the defense is allowed, which ensures that the broad judge uh, law does not undermine the congressional policy, policy and all that. Now, if you're a little lost, let me give you a little a little um, preface here, right? So, uh, Pinter was an oil and gas producer, okay, who agreed to locate and acquire oil leases to drill wells on the leases on behalf of what was known as Dahl and other investors, okay, and then uh, to operate the wells. So, so Dahl essentially invested $310,000 of his own money and then induced 11 friends to invest $7,000 each. Now, when the wells turned out to be worthless, Dahl and other investors sued Pinter, right, under the Securities Act, right, because he essentially was selling securities. Now, under 15 U.S.C. 77A, um, they were seeking rescission on the ground that the investments had never been registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, okay? So, essentially, if you tell somebody that you're selling them a security, right, um, either you show the security or you don't, right, okay? And this is different, different all, they're all different types of investments, but this specifically was that type of investment. So the duty to register with the SEC depended on whether the securities had been sold as part of a public offering or as a private placement with a small group of sophisticated investors. Thank you. That's the word, sophisticated investors, right? So if you over a million dollars, they consider you to be a sophisticated investor. If you ain't investing over that much or, or if you don't have at least that much money, you're not considered to be sophisticated as an investor. Okay, so the parties have relied on the private placement rules, but the lower courts held that the transaction did not qualify under those rules. So Pinner also alleged that the defense in pari delecto against Dahl, so that Dahl could not recover because he was as much as fault as Pinter. So the district court rejected this defense without discussing it. So what we're talking about here, okay, is the idea that clean hands and the clean hands doctrine would come into play. Now, um, you know, like I said, keep in mind that I'm giving you this so you can understand that when we dive into this trust information tonight, um, it will make a little bit more sense for you. All right. Now, um, in party election, the court looked at a few different things. So first, two defenses. Okay, and I want you to, to take this information and think of it in the, the sense that. 
Maybe you had an important satisfaction and you had to kind of get equity, right? A lot of these things can come up in a lot of different issues. Okay, so the party electo is closely related to the defense of unclean hands. The unclean hands defense is based on maximum of equity. Excuse me, the maximum of equity. So, uh, and the equity basically says that he who comes into equity must come with clean hands. Now, if the plaintiff's hands were not clean, if he were guilty of inequitable conduct, whether or not that conduct was illegal or tortuous, it was said that he could not get relief in equity. The unclean hands defense is historically said to be available only in equity, and jurisdictions continue to divide on whether unclean hands can be a defense on suit that law. Okay? Now, whatever the status of unclean hands, the party electo is available at law in suits for damages. The court and pincher carefully distinguishes the two defenses to protect enforcement of, of the statutory policy. It says that in party electo is narrower than unclean hands. Okay, so the distinction among because uh, so, remember we deal with substantive law, right? So the distinction among substantive claims may be more important than the distinction between two defenses. Okay? The second thing they looked at was unclean hands. The best treatment of unclean hands doctrine may still be uh, what, what's known as uh, Zachariah Chafee Jr. Right? Um, and you can look at that case. Um, it was uh, coming into equity with clean hands, 47 uh, LRAV 877, 1949. Okay? But basically the thesis was, was that the clean hands doctrine does not definitely govern anything that is rather recent growth, that it ought to not have been called maximum of equity because it is by no means confined to equity. That it is that its supposed unity is very tenuous and is very uh, a bundle of rules relating to quite diverse subjects that insofar as a principle that is not very helpful at times capable of causing considerable harm. That's somebody's pick. Okay? Third thing that they look at is the controversy. Okay, so the essence of what happened, the, the essence of what troubles uh, the observers is that the defense allows the defendants to get away with wrongful conduct, and then they provide at the best a haphazard remedy for the plaintiff's wrongful conduct. And it, we've seen this over and over, right? Where you get screwed, and then where they screw you out of something, you know, essentially you, you, you're then left to try to find a remedy, but nothing happens to them, okay? So then the next thing that was looked at was rewriting the precision instrument. Eventually the court dropped the unclean hands rationale and announced as a substantive rule of patent law that patents are procured by fraud are invalid. Okay? So, Invalidity for fraud may be asserted not only as an equitable defense, but in the complaint under the Declaratory Judgment Act or the antitrust laws. Okay, we could even go into the coffee account. Okay, five deals with illegal contracts. Okay, um, and when they looked at the illegal, you know, and this is. We talk about contracts and looking at illegal contracts. Uh, patent law is not the only area where it's a sense of rule, like unclean hands, right? But, you know, 
we we gotta look at that too, right? What was the contract legal or not legal? Defendant voluntarily entered into a contract and then now they want out of it. But you gotta you gotta remember, you have a right to rescission, you have a right to get out of a contract that was done under fraud or duress or mistake, unconscionability, unclean hands. Right? Every contract can be broken. I don't have to enter into your contract if I don't want to. And if I did enter into it, right, under some type of mistake, I can get out of it. So there's that. All right. Then the next thing that the court brought up, and this is interesting, right, they said that um, that there there's no honor among thieves. Right. So some of the cases that a court will not serve as a referee in an accounting between conspirators or co-conspirators. Right, so this is reminiscent of uh, the highwayman, the highwayman's case, right? Everett versus Williams, which was decided in 1725 and unofficially reported in 9 LQR 197-1893. It said the plaintiff alleged a partnership for a highway robbery and the defendant failure to uh, to account for the partnership profits. The chance to dismiss the bill for scandal and impertinence and find the solicitors for contempt of court. Okay. A more modern example of this was done um, in 1992, okay? and then it was um, decided in 1993, but a father sued his son, proceeds of the sale of a rare 17th century bronze statue. The father appeared to have acquired the statue innocently, but the time of the sale, right, uh, both the father and the son of the statue were stolen property, so the son kept the entire proceeds. And then the court dismissed the father's complaint on the grounds that the agreement with respect to the proceeds was in an illegal contract. So in a more complex example, the bankruptcy trustee of a company that organized a Ponzi scheme then sued the bankrupt uh, the, the bankrupt's aiders and the betters under the RICO, the Racketeering Influence and Corruption Organization Act, 18 USC. Right, so the trustee stood in the shoes of the bankrupt and the court invoked impari delecto to dismiss the claim. You know, so you see where the trustee had to come in, right? So the plaintiffs sought an accounting of the profits of the family grocery business. One reason the accounting was so difficult was that for 20 years, the family had kept phony books for tax purposes. The court allowed the accounting anyways. Uh, so when we talk about the consistency right here with the highway case, right? The, them two things go hand in hand, right? The seventh thing they brought up was must the wrongdoing be directed at the defendant? So some cases say that a plaintiff is barred unless his wrongdoing was directed at the defendant. But one place this matters is in a large set of cases that arise from fraudulent transfer. So a distressed debtor transfers property to a friend or a relative to keep it from her creditors. When the coast is clear, she asks for the property back, and then the recipient says, nah. I'm not giving you back shit, right? Now, in the case of uh, Billman versus Billman, right, the plaintiff and her husband fraudulently transferred their house to his brother to save it from a tax claim. After her husband died and the IRS went away, the plaintiff asked for the house back. When her boyfriend-in-law uh, refused, the court imposed a constructive trust. So then it said that the plaintiff was barred by unclean hands because her fraud on the IRS was not directed at her brother-in-law. Is that a right result? If the court had let the brother-in-law keep the property, would that deter fraudulent transfers? If the if the result is sound, okay, what about the rationale here? See? 
So uh, the eighth thing that was brought up was recovering the fruits of the plaintiff's wrong. So another formulation of the unclean hands rule is that the court will not aid a plaintiff whose claim had its inception in the plaintiff's own wrongdoing, whether the victim is the defendant or third party. So that covers the fraudulent transfer cases because the inequitable conduct is part of the sources of the plaintiff's claim. So this was the rationale for letting the defendants keep the fraudulently transferred property. Okay, I mean this, this shit. Listen, y'all, this, this shit is so important, and it, and it may sound like a bunch of jargon, but it's really important because I'm here to tell you that what happens, you know, in unclean hands is that it don't. Sometimes it don't even be your your friends, right? Sometimes it be your own fucking family that tries to screw you over. As you can see in some of these cases. Okay. So the next thing that they went into. Is the conduct related to the litigation. So the bare minimum requirement. Improper conduct relates in some significant way. To the claim he now asserts. So this exclusion. Wholly irrelevant. Past misconduct without that. Only those leading pristine and blameless lives. Would ever be entitled to equitable relief. Okay, next one, comparative fault. Another approach is to ask whether the defendant is more culpable than the plaintiff. Precision instrument refused to consider comparative faults, but Pitcher goes the other way with the party delecto, and so does most unclean hand cases, right? Gamblers cannot sue to recover the illegal losses, but some states recognize the exception where the defendant won by cheating. So the, the, um, the case goes both ways. Now, in many of these cases, the original wrongdoing was a conspiracy between the parties who become plaintiff and the defendant in the unclean hands case. So that was the case in Penner versus Court, right, in the fraudulent transfer case. So should it matter who took the, the initiative in the original conspiracy? Should it matter that they both tried to cheat? Okay, but now the defendant has committed a second wrong by trying to cheat the plaintiff. So, so on that theory, wasn't the, the defendant and the highwayman more culpable than the plaintiff? Right? All these are all questions that, that were brought up. Now, um, the next one was protecting the third the third party victim. In some of these cases, there is a readily identifiable victim of fraudulent conduct, right? That the victim is not a party and may have given up on any hope of a remedy. Why not notify the victim instead of arguing? Okay, over which of the co-conspirators should keep the fruit of the conspiracy. Now, isn't that something, right? I, and I think that's really important to bring up. A lot of times, you got you got two thieves who sitting here arguing over some shit that ain't even theirs, but nobody notifies the victim. Okay, so apparently a rare example of this approach is in um, Adams versus Manon. This is a 1992 case. The plaintiff had gotten his bankruptcy discharge in 1989 without disclosing substantial loans to his to his uh, living girlfriend. The girlfriend's obligation to repay him would have been an asset available to his creditors. So after his discharge, he sued to collect loans from the now ex-girlfriend. The trial court ruled that the plaintiff, that the intermediate court, held his claim barred by unclean hands. The court of, uh, the court of appeals vacated the judgment. And directed that the trial judge notify the bankruptcy trustee. If the bankruptcy trustee declined the proceed, 
the trial should uh, re-enter its original judgment for plaintiffs. So a similar uh, case in Connecticut took place, which reached the opposite result of this. Okay, and the court assumed that the bankruptcy trustee would not find it worthwhile to proceed, and it held that the bankruptcy's claim barred by unclean hands. This is in Thompson versus a court, seven seven seven, two thousand one. Okay, the next one was protecting the public. Sometimes both sides are victimizing the general public. Clinton E. Warden, right? Both the plaintiff and the defendant were selling a product called California Fig Syrup. The plaintiff claimed a trademark in the name and then sued to enjoin the defendant's infringement. The court then denied relief because of unclean hands. So then the syrup was not given, uh, the syrups were not from California and then they were not uh, also made from figs. Okay, so both parties were allowed to continue deceiving the public. But did that make any sense? Okay, so what it, the question would then arise is then, right, would it be better if only the plaintiff we're allowed to deceive the public. Is the problem simply that someone else has to step up to sue the plaintiff? Maybe the public should have to step up. Then I'll sue you for deceiving me. See how that works. So the big picture, right, is that unclean hands defense, the same as saying two wrongs make a right. That's the question that you have to ask yourself. Because the plaintiff committed some earlier wrong, the defendant's wrong goes what they call unremitied. So there was no remedy. Denying relief may help deter wrongs like plaintiffs, but it only encourages wrongs like the defendant. We shouldn't courts ask whether denying relief to the plaintiff is a sensible remedy for earlier wrongs? All right, so this is a preface because what we're going to talk about when we come back from the break is the trust, okay? And I'll show you how this applies to trust. All right, you're right here on the bottom line. Keep it locked. Don't go nowhere. Tonight we're talking about remedies. This is part two to last week's episode. We'll be right back. Don't even think about changing the station. You're listening to The Bottom Line with your host, Joey L. Carpet, I was so fly. Star deep, but I won't cry. I'm just trying to die Mozart. Hundred grand in a green duffel. Trying to figure life, but still seem close. Intoxicated as my daughter cries. I wake up horny, that's a ball of wine. I'm off a roll, shackles off the feet. Cops still killing, am I truly free? Thinking about the lies, Donald Trump teller. Iceberg shit, Donald Duck sweater. Whole snapping pictures, I'm so photogenic. You either die a legend or they won't remember. Is there a heaven for street niggas? So 
Too many homies gone, started in the street with us. Guess it's the reason why we celebrate. Cop cars, pop bottles, happy to escape. Penthouse with the sky view. I woke up feeling free and I locked up. Take the air I breathe, yeah. I'm free. Shackles off my feet Chase the air I breathe I'm free alive Free alive Get things, get things, get things, yeah uh. Moving on to better things, yeah Ooh. Hey, hey Struggle produce progress Told my son no dreams and big to digest Gotta get it regardless Cause the plan was to make it out of the project Too many glasses of champagne Distracted by young bitches that want fame Stuck on my way, tell me how we adjust When our babies is blinded by social media Pray for the homies that lost freedom, yeah Trying to feed their families while they unjust Political pawns, these are suffering To achieve our dreams, we try hustling That's the plight of the black now they either kill us or throw us in pack down Leave us in cages, is that hell? Feeling trapped in a ghetto, is that hell? Shackles off with the top down No intentions to stop now Penthouse with the sky view I woke up feeling free and I locked you Shackles off my feet Take the air I breathe, yeah I'm free alive Free Moving on to better things, yeah, yeah. Shackles off my feet. Take the air I breathe. I'm free alive. Free alive. Get things, get things, get things, yeah. giving you some powerful information here. So, uh, a lot of information that I just gave to you deals with different ways that unclean hands can be looked at both ways, right? And I wanted to bring that up because when you set up trust, you are the trust protector. You are also, if you choose to be a trustee, and sometimes you could be a beneficiary, trustee, your, your position could, could vary. But there is one thing that you're always going to have if it's your trust if you're going to have a trustee. Okay. So this is something that's important. It's something that we have to look at. Um, you know, and I and I wanted to to make sure that we talk about this when it comes to trust and the equity doctrine of right? Um, because when we talk about trust, trust actually can sink and teeth into this, right? When you're coming from a trust standpoint. That's really where equity really gets hopping at. So, um, in an action for breach of trust, unclean hands, 
the plaintiff's beneficiary, assuming that there are, in fact, unclean, right, hands, uh, could well be an effective equitable defense. Okay? So the restatement of restitution, specifically, and we, when we talk about restitution, that's getting your money back. So the, the restatement of restitution, 1937, specifically 140, provides that, quote, a person may be prevented from obtaining restitution for benefit because of his criminal or other wrongful conduct in connection with the transaction or on which his claim is based. Equities maxims as they apply to the trust relationship of which the doctrine of unclean hands is one are cataloged in 812 of Loring and Rounds, a trustee's handbook, 2021, which section is reproduced in relevant parts in the appendix, right? Now, the maximum relevance to the trust relationship is addressed in the footnote to the excerpt. And it says this, it says, quote, the doctrine of unclean hands is a unique to equity and has no analog at law. Unlike most legal descriptions, or excuse me, unlike most legal doctrines, its aim is not to aid the search for truth. I'll say it again. Its aim is not to aid in the search for truth or even to promote justice for the litigant. Its purpose is protection for the reputation of equity itself. And of those courts that exist to provide equity, the awesome power of equity, as opposed to the limited civil power of the law courts, would be intolerable unless uh, stringently cabined by a doctrine under which the chancery withholds this power were invoked by wrongdoers whose bad acts were part of the cause of the act in itself. Now, in Nikki and Darren, uh, this is the case, Nikki and Darren, Irrel Trust, 2020, uh, February 4th, the restatement of restitution, 1937, has similarly articulated the policy that underpins the doctrine. And they said, quote, if relief is denied, it is because of the desirability of protecting public interest, which may require denial of relief, though, as between the parties, there is both unjust deprivation and unjust enrichment. The result can be justified only when on the grounds that it tends to prevent such transactions or that the public should be uh, burdened with the expense of adjusting such claims. Restatement of Restitution, 1937. Now, thus a trustee beneficiary, that could be you, who wrongfully decades a trust in the absence of an express power to invade principle may not later have the equity court void decadence if to do so would benefit the trustee beneficiary, personally at the expense of another beneficiary. Okay, so also has an infant who has fraudulently hid from the trustees his infancy, in so doing, received an improper distribution from the trust estate, unsuccessfully sued the trustees for duplicate distribution upon his attaining the age of majority, his unclean hands having deprived him of the usual protections equity affords infants. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Now, under 8-12, 
where the trust is recognized outside of the United States, and I, this is important for those of you who have those foreign trusts, okay, under 8-12, okay, maxims of equity. Equity is also an application of maxims that were formulated in decisions of England's chancery courts. These maxims are as relevant today as they were when separate courts of law and equity were the norm. They include the following. Number one, equity will not suffer a wrong to be without a remedy. Number two, equity follows the law. Number three, and by the way, number two, we have to expand that to equity follows the law, but the question has to be asked is which law are we talking about, okay? Number three, where there is equal equity, the law shall prevail. Number four, where the equities are equal, the first in time shall prevail. First in line, first in time. Okay? And, and by the way, that's uh, qui prior este terempe, uh, portier este jure. Okay? So there's the Latin. Okay? And then the next one is this. Uh, this will be number one, two, three, four. Number five, he who seeks equity must do equity. Okay, you want some equity, you got to give it. goes both ways. You want equity as a public official, you got to give it to me. Because you're my servant. That's that type of shit, right? Okay? So the letter of this maxim is certainly overly comprehensive as a matter of general Anglo-American equity jurisprudence. Not so, however, when it comes to the fiduciary matters. Okay, so the maxim, for example, is what uh, undergrids the comprehensiveness of the regime of breach of trust remedies that equity makes available to trust beneficiaries, remedies that are subject of Chapter 7 of the Handbook. Okay? Snell's Equity, 1505-1507. These are all uh, references for you, right? Now, the maximum application is best exemplified by equity's forbearance when it comes to a bona fide purchaser for value, or BFPs, a topic that is covered in 542.8.3.2 and 8.15.53 of the handbook. Okay? Undoubtedly, the reason why the chancellor uh, refused to give relief to a Sessica trust Use against a bona fide purchaser derived from considerations of conscience. Equity refused to give a remedy unless there was an affirmative reason to point injustice for giving. What I said last week, right? Equity deals with the conscience, the king's conscience, the court's conscience, the church's conscience. You got to have conscience. You see, you see, this is what I'm saying. You got people that sit behind the bench. You got people who who are operating in in public capacity who are not giving equity, and a lot of it draws down to their conscience. Okay, so equity equity refused to give a remedy unless there was an affirmative reason in point of justice for giving. So the Sessicay use and the bona fide purchaser equally innocent and the chancellor refused to interpose. Snell's equity. 
So assume a trust beneficiary transfers for full value his equitable interest to X. A transferee in good faith and then later purports to transfer for full value the same equitable interest to Y was also wholly innocent. X will generally prevail in equity. The transfer to him being the prior one. So you see, Snell's equity, if you know 9 through 514, uh, or excuse me, 1514, the maxim is closely related to clean hands maxim, but looks to further rather than the past, the future rather than the past, excuse me. So for an example of the application of the maxim, he who seeks equity must do equity. Okay? So specifically, the discussion of remedial constructive trust, you'll find this in the handbook too under 3.3. But for other trust-related applications of the maxim, um, you need to see four Scott, right? So these are these are all in the handbooks that I gave you, right? Um, but they went in to say that he who comes into equity must come with clean hands. The public policy that underpins the unclean hands maxim is taken up in 5.5 of the handbook. It also goes into the fact that delay defeats equity. Okay, and equality is equity. This is why I'm saying, man, we don't make a distinction saying we got Muslims that listen. I know we got Hebrews, we got Christians, we got we got atheists, we got people of all different backgrounds and religions that listen to these shows. Right? We do live in the United States of America. Right? And and, I, and I'm not referring right now to the corporations, I'm referring to the, the to the free republic. Okay, or the Democratic Republic, right? Whichever you prefer, but it's free. Okay, the shit's free, right? We're free people, so equality is equity. Okay, now if you if you don't believe in, uh, you know, women having rights or stuff like that, then you, you, know, you got to go to the one of them countries where that's happening, right? But people still have rights in this country. All right, so and I just have to put that out there because you know sometimes we get backlash. You know, if we're not specific about certain things. So there, there is no reason why a trustee and made good any loss that he has resulted from a breach of trust should not be entitled to indemnity. Okay? Now, liability of beneficiaries to trust estates, noting that the interest of the beneficiary who is under a liability to pay money in the trust is subject to a charge for the amount of the liability, so that a person entitled to participate in a fund and also bound to contribute to the same fund, cannot receive the benefit without discharging the obligation. So there's your discharge again. Mm-hmm. See, the trustee can discharge you. Okay? And then you can get remedy for that. Now, trust beneficiaries may not retain overpayments, but should there remain a deficiency once overpayments have been redistributed, the trustee shall be personally liable for redistribution. That should have been made, uh, but in breach of trust were not made. There's your equity, right? Okay. So um, if you look up um, in Snell's equity, right, they talk about uh, Vincent J. Formo, right, irrevocable children's trust for the benefit of uh, Allison Formo, right? This was a case, right, where an infant uh, who had fraudulently hid from the trustees his infancy and so doing received an improper distribution from the trust estate. Unsuccessfully sued the trustees 
for duplicate distribution upon his attaining the age of majority. His unclean hands, essentially having deprived him of the usual protections of equity, affords infants, right? Note, however, that a trustee's own misconduct ordinarily does not prevent the trust from making a suit against a co-trustee to remedy a breach of trust. But this is because the purpose of the suit to benefit the trustee, but to benefit the beneficiaries. Now, on the other hand, <laughs> on the other hands, the clean hands doctrine may well mean that a trustee commits a breach of trust in bad faith, entitled neither to contribution for indemnity uh, from his co-trustees. Okay, so recovery and restitution, which is uh, innocent claimant, would be entitled may be limited or denied because of a claimant's inequitable conduct in the transaction. So on the other hand, if a trustee from whom the contribution is sought also acts in bad faith, a contribution is required. So a bad faith trustee may not hide behind another's unclean hands. Y'all understand? Trustees can become liable. Straight up. Okay? Now, Equity aids the vigilant and not the indolent. Okay, this you know that that, that holds true in matters. Okay, so in part discussing statutes of limitation and latches in contracts and court actions by the trustee or the trust beneficiary against third parties and inequitable actions by beneficiaries against third parties. For participating with the trustee in breaches of trust or this handbook. Now, listen, I ain't never been a trustee for nobody except for myself. So I, I can put myself in check. Right? I don't need nobody to do that for me because I can do that shit myself. And personally, I don't want to be your trustee. I'd rather be my own trustee. I tell people all the time if you can't find a foreign trustee, nigga, be your own trustee. I've never been anybody else's trustee. I'm my own. Even when I was working with Jonas, right? It's more of a partnership. All right? So, you know, and I I'm, you know, I know me. I'm straightforward. So it is what it is. But um, it, that's a very special type of relationship when, when you contract with someone's trusted. Partnerships are different, right? Uh, because you can be held by equitable standards in both, but more specifically, if, if I sign the contract to be your trustee, that's what it is. And so, when we look at this, right, um, you know, you have to go back and even look in England, right? Because in England, when a court is compelled to take over the work of a trustee of a discretionary trust because of a trustee's non-execution, uh, the court is, is generally at that time they're inclined to um, to do a couple of things. And the, the first one would be to look at equity and say equity looks to the intent, the substance, rather than the form. And equity looks on that is done, which ought to have been done. You, you see what I'm saying? So invoke the equality of equity. That's a max, right? And effect and equal division. So the spirit of the maxim often manifests itself in the context of the apportion of tax obligations between and among classes of takers under a wheel um, or between 
or among the classes of trust beneficiaries or between trust and probate estates or between trust and other trusts. The doctrine of equitable apportionment. Okay? So the equality is equity. Maxim offers and informs what's known as the tracing doctrine, uh, particularly in cases where assets of multiple trusts are wrongly co-mingled in a single fund, that type of, of deal. You know what I'm My bad, y'all. I just seen some eye candy. My bad. I'm a man. What can I say? All right. Um. <laughs> all right. So, so what we talking about the maxims here, man. All right. So here, here's here's the deal, right? Um. Equality is equity. Straight up, it is, right? So, and if you go back to Snell's equity. It would essentially elevate from over substance to reject a, a finances agreement as a violation of a trust convention when transactions achieved at the end are permissible under a trust. The trust can do a lot of things. So, since paragraph 14 expressly prescribes father from appointing himself as a successor trustee, the provision implicably prohibits the appointment of father's alter ego to the position. You can find this is in the uh, the Pizarro versus uh Reynoso case. Okay, not so when I'm saying father, that's what I'm talking about, right? But as employed by the uh, Pennsylvania court in the in the Fumo case, the term alter ego is essentially a synonym for agent. Okay? The rule that equity will aid the defective exercise of power or appointment, a specific application of the general maxim that equity looks to the substance rather than to form, is taken up in 8.15.88 of this handbook. Okay? Now, in English versus Castleberry, which is uh, 2013, the court invoking the maxim that equity will not countenance an argument that elevates form over substance. Ruled that the trustee had voluntarily submitted to the court's jurisdiction by participating in the litigation, such as by moving the court to grant requests material ben- uh, materially beneficial to himself and the trust beneficiaries. So since equity looks to the intent rather than the form, there is no need for any technical expression to be used conversely. Right? So a recitation of the word trust in a statute or elsewhere would not necessarily give rise to a trust. Now, in the equity sense, the Social Security Trust Fund, the subject of 9.9.3 of his handbook, is a prime example of the statutory regime that is a trust is name only. So, for example, um, of one, you see, uh, go look at uh, Trustees of Tobacco Use Prevention um, and Control Fund versus Voice. And that whole shit comes up. All right, but I want to I want to be clear here because I don't want to confuse y'all on what I'm talking about here. But in Snell's equity, the maximum application in the context of the, we're talking about full context. So in the context of delayed trust terminations and distributions, the doctrine of equitable conversion has been offered as another of the maxims applications. The topic that's discussed in eight point one five point four four. Okay, and suggesting that the maximum 
of equity regards as done that which ought to have been done is a, a fictitious explanation of the equitable conversion doctrine. So in the trust context, the equitable conversion of land that trustees have been directed to sell is an application of the maxim. So basically it says the equity sees is done that which ought to have been done. So the word ought is employed not only in a moral sense, but in a, a legal, equitable, and, and lawful sense, right? So the right to the land having already been pre-recorded by the terms of the trust, equity sees to that, that the land will uh, uh, devolve as personally irrespective of the precise time at which the sale takes place, preventing the uh, the devolution of the beneficial interest from being altered by failure or delay on part of the trustees in executing this. So, and the trustee, and just so we know, trustees have to uh, execute equity in all manners. So equity imputes an intention to fulfill an obligation. Equity acts in personam. Equity will not aid a volunteer. Equity will not suffer a trust to fail for the one of a trustee. I'll say it again. Equity will not suffer a trust to fail for the one of a trustee. Equity suffers not advantage to be taken of a penalty for forfeiture where compensation can be made. I know this is a lot, right, and, and some of this information can't go over people's heads. So you may have to listen to what I have read tonight a few different times. We're going to have to dive into it a little bit to get a good understanding of this information, right? Because this deals with unclean hands, but it deals with equity. It deals with the doctrine. It deals with your ability to step up to the plate as a man or as a woman and take care of your shit. It deals with you as a trust protector stepping up to the plate and saying, no, that's not right. I don't like how you did that as a trustee, right? Or check your trustee. Or even in business, a business partner. Um, or, you know, just any relationship that you have with somebody that could result, you know, in the exchange of something, whether it be land, property, finances, children, whatever. All right. With that being said, uh, we're going to take a quick break, pay some bills. We do live in a free society. <laughs> so, this information is, is readily available to the public for public consumption, all right? All right, so I'm going to take a quick break, like a real quick one. We'll come back. Call lines is open if you want to holler at me. Um, we got 27 minutes on the clock. And I'm going to get up out of here after that. We'll be right back. Don't go nowhere, man. Keep it locked right here on the bottom line. It's Sunday. We're going to go to break with a little young boss. Peace to God. Boy, I can't yeah. Hey, love, you say you want that 90s R&B type love and commitment, huh? I got you. You hear me, baby? Yeah. I'm going to trust her with
nigga broke your heart, that's cool, you learned your lesson. Let me spoil you like old milk, girl. Let me be your blessing. Girl, let me be the nigga that makes you smile just from texting. Hair dead, nails dead, you poppin' like my Smith and Weston. With your cute face and your slim waist. You say that pussy good, I'll be the judge, girl. Sit that on my plate. Let me meet your father. Let me meet your mama. Let's go shopping, let me feed you. Let's hit Benny Hanna's. Let me be the nigga you call on when you lay at night. The one you vent to, the one you expect to make shit right. Girl, let's catch a flight. Shit, fuck it, let's see the night. Let's take the advice of Lil Duval. Let's live our best life. Girl, I'm just trying to be your king, and that makes you the queen. I love you all the way, I swear, it ain't no in between. And that's exactly how I feel, and not just how it seems. So when I tell you that I got you, that's just what I mean. I'm still with you. Think you'll make your motive Switch on You always on my mind And baby if that's cool Let me hear you say Yeah, 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 yeah I wanna take you on a date Bring you home, let you run While I grip your waist You're always on my mind And if you want me to Let me hear you say Yeah, 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 yeah I'm still with you Take you home, make you more that good sex with you You're always on my mind And baby, if that's cool, let me hear you say Yeah, 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 yeah I wanna take you on a date Bring you home, let you run while I grip your waist You're always on my MakeMoreCommerce.com for more remedies with Joey L, where remedy meets preparation. All right, all right, we back. Peace to the God. We're going to go to the call line. Call the numbers 516-531-9318. If you want to get in, I'll let me. We're going to press 1 and uh, we'll get you right in there, all right? Let's go to 917 804. You're on the line. Peace to the God. You still with Joey B? Hey. Good, brother. How you? Oh, we're doing wonderful, wonderful, man. Good. Excellent show. Excellent show. Thank you, brother. Appreciate yeah. it. A lot of information. Man, no doubt. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought I was going to be able to use a half a sheet of paper. You know, this is one this is one that you can go back and listen to though, you know what I mean? It, it may make sense after the third or the fourth list, you know. So yeah, that's what's up though. I mean, you know, I, listen man, I like that that this information can be presented, you know, and it and it can be useful, right? It's not always sometimes it's not about um and, and I always want to say it's always about commerce, right? But, but sometimes it's, yeah. it's about how you can use this, you know, to benefit other people. You know, because honestly, we're talking about trust, man. This this might help you, the trustees. 
you know, this might help your beneficiaries, any of that. Yeah, 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 I definitely see that. <clears throat> so, I mean, looking at the grand scheme of things, it makes me wonder about um, the whole act of usury. And then if you try to bring somebody into court on that, could you use the actual uh, unclean hand as a uh, defense? I suppose you could. I don't see why you couldn't. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about you know, usury is lending money with an interest, you know, charge and then charging for its use, right? It's basically, what right. you 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 put an exorbitant fees on somebody, right? But it depends on the type of contract that it was. You know, it depends on what the situation right. was. Like. You know, because okay. you can't bring, you, you know, if, if you gave if you gave money to a business, not a private party. You have to bring the business into court, right? But then businesses can file bankruptcy. That's, I mean, that you know, the the thing is, is that even with investment, <laughs> yeah, yeah, listen, bro, even with investment, like I said earlier, sophisticated investments, right? It, it, you know, the, the law will look at shit and say, okay, well, was this person sophisticated? Because that shit could go either way. Was I a sophisticated investor, or or why? Or and then the question could be asked is. Was I also a sophisticated uh, individual who took the money? You know, based on what, right. what was the situation? So what was the situation? You know, if yeah, you loan yeah. Lil Ray Ray, if you give Lil Ray Ray a thousand dollars, Lil Ray Ray didn't think he had to pay it back. You know, the, the question would be, you know, is Lil Ray Ray responsible? And they would determine, you know, I mean, that would be determined by the whole act before the discrepancy took place. Hold on, let me turn the, let me turn the audio down. This is about, hold on. All right, say it again. I was saying that would be determined by uh, what took, what act took place before the discrepancy came about, right? It's like you were That's saying how yeah. um, no honor amongst thieves. Listen, man. It, and see, and see, that's what I'm saying, right? There ain't no honor amongst thieves. But, but then you have to ask that's yourself, was this individual a thief? Because, because what what constitutes somebody being a thief? I listen. I've invested money with people and lost money. Did that make the person who who I invested with? Did that make them? Who, who, and I didn't get my bread back. Was did that make them a thief? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe some shit happened. Maybe there was an act of God that happened. We did go. We did run. Yeah, look, I look, I, and I'm and I'm straight up with this. You know, I I invested money years ago. You know, it's the shit that I was told. You know, as soon as the pandemic hit, I was told, oh, you know, the pandemic is slowing things down. And you know we can't get we just can't get the investments done right now because because of the the pandemic. Three years later, nigga, the pandemic's still going on, and, and I ain't got a dime. So mm. the the yeah. question has to be asked: What you know was the transaction done in good faith <clears throat> on, on either side? You know, and there's plenty right, of people who've been through this. Yeah, listen, bro, there's plenty of people who've been through this type of shit. You know, it's just like, 
it's 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 uh, you know, and equity moves in different ways. Just like in some of these countries where people, you know, uh, women will 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 get stoned or killed, you know, based off of you know something that they did that might have been, um, we can say, uh, 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 um, irrational in the in the eyes of of that of their religion, right? Like for instance, like if a woman steps outside the house in some Muslim countries, right, she got to have her garb on, right? She's that may be very unequitable. <laughs> you you feel what I'm saying? Like <laughs> over here in America, you cannot tell somebody what they can and cannot do when it comes to shit like that, right? So so you right. you stone somebody and kill them over here, you may not get the same result you get in another country. So equity got to be looked at based on where you at. It's got to be looked at based on what the circumstance is. It's got to be looked at based on uh, uh, who and what was involved. Got you. Got clean you, hands is the most. Remember, both parties got to come in with clean hands. You can't sell drugs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then give me bread to invest and then turn around. If you don't get your money back and try to sue me, because, because I can say, well, that was drug money. And the court will say, well, okay, so you, you see what I'm saying? So a court can look at the person that gave the money out and be like, well, you didn't come with clean hands either because your money didn't come clean. Yeah, you came with dirty money. You can't get that back. I ain't going to force them to give it back to you. Right. So all I'm saying is, you know, this is a I, – I bring this topic up because people operate in trust. And because people operate in trust, it's a matter of are you operating the trust correctly or your trustees operating the trust correctly, um, and then even outside of that realm, you start dealing with estates and wills, probate, um, business, any of that, you have to have clean hands. Any business dealing I ever did, I came to the table with clean hands. Now, what happened after that and with other people had nothing to do with me, and, and, and that happens a lot in business. Well, you may have business you go into with, with good intentions, but like I was always, good intentions don't pay the bills. Right. And then something came up, but, but how do you but, control where the bills didn't get paid? Right. But in, in court, though, you know, they look at that shit, though, right? Well, did this individual have clean hands? Did it come with good faith? You know, you essentially can do things in good faith and clean hands and be okay, right? You You could be a victim of bad circumstances. Man, look at child support, bro. Mm. Child support is one of them things, right? Uh, a brother may have good intentions to pay uh, uh, his, his child support every month, and then maybe he, he came up on a hard month. Maybe he lost his job, and, it, and then it didn't get paid. So then he goes into arrears. Does, does that mean right. that – and then he missed the payment. Does that mean that he had bad faith? Maybe his intentions were good. Yeah, yeah that's a perfect example. Perfect example. Cause shit, after that, you know, you don't make a payment or two, then they take your license, you can't go to work. You can't work, you can't mm-hmm. make a payment. You know? Can't work, can't make a payment, <laughs> you ain't got a license, you can't drive, then you get put in jail. It's a whole bunch of bullshit. Credit fucking It's up. a whole bunch of shit. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, this this topic, you know, is it's a pretty broad topic. Because even like I said, even even with usury, bro. 
You know what I'm saying? Even with usury. Usury yeah. is a pimp. Usury <laughs> is a master pimp. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going listen, listen, dog. You get you get in charge usury, and, 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 and see that's that's what I'm saying, right? Like you you go and get a loan from <laughs> let's just say you go get a loan from from payday loan, right? and then they charge you 100 percent interest on the loan, which which is what the Federal Reserve do when it, when they give out money to the United States. They charge 100 percent interest. That's usury. Cause I'm gonna hit you over the head with the with, with the finance charges because you agree to that. Right. Oh yeah, yeah that's true. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. That runs right along with uh, <clears throat> you were saying the patent laws slash contract laws. You know what I'm saying? If you find out that it wasn't clean hands, at that point you have a right to get out of the contract. Right. It's all contract, bro. It's all, it, everything got to, you know, full disclosure is important. And, it, and, and that's the other thing. For, it depends on how you gave full disclosure. You may you may have only had a certain amount of disclosure that you could give. So you give the disclosure that you got. You know, I mean, this is a complicated mm-hmm. topic. It's complicated. You know, uh, equity. There are maxims, so we got maxims to, to to say, okay, this is what should be done. But equity is a complicated topic, bro. You know, especially you start talking yeah. about trust, because a lot of people don't operate with equity and trust. Believe it or not, this, this is why a lot of trusts end up in court because the trustee then ran off with the money. Now, now, this is my question. So, <clears throat> remember you saying the uh, the trustee could be held liable, right? Yep. So, who would hold him liable? Would that be the beneficiary, the actual uh, trust grantor? Sometimes it's the beneficiaries, yeah. So, the beneficiaries could if it's the trustee. So, let's say the trust protector is not doing their job or the settler's not around anymore. And all you have is the trustee and the beneficiary, and then the trustee's not doing their job. And the beneficiary has to receive what the trustee does. The, the beneficiary can step in and sue the trustee. The the trust protector can sue the the, the the trustee. Trustees can be fired, but they can also be sued. They, they, remember, like I said earlier, the agent. You become an agent of the trust. Yeah. The trustee got paid. This is the reason why. I'm gonna be honest, and this is part of the reason why too. When you do a trust, you put certain um, things in the trust, like like you put in the trust a copy of the constitution. You put in the trust a copy of uh, you know the Declaration of you know Independence. Whatever it is that you put in there, you might put the Articles of Confederation in there. But those are also uh, uh, indentures to help your trust operate, right? So you can say, look, my trustee has rights. Right, but the trust also has rights. I might put my treaty in the trust. So this person's got to be. This person is protected by these laws, but they're also bound by them too. So those would be the trust bylaws, right? Huh? So those would be the trust bylaws. It could be. You, you really should write the bylaws down. Yes. Any trust bylaws really need to be written down. 
Because because those are part of the indenture, really. You know, I wouldn't unless you specific about it and you say, hey, these are trust bylaws. We don't really know. Hell yeah. You know what I'm saying? We 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 won't really know unless, and that's why express trust are so important. Because because if it's an express trust, at least it's written down that you know what it is. Mm-hmm. Yes indeed. So yeah, so when you was talking about look, when you was talking about um you said the, the the person sitting on the bench, you know what I'm saying? The judge is sitting on the bench. Not operating in mm-hmm. good conscience. As an example, mm-hmm. that would be like somebody standing on their square and they still kept trying to play the games, you know, saying, no, damn well, what you're talking about is fact. And they still trying to use the trickery to get you to move on so that they can get the proceeds and the benefits. Hey, oh, yeah, exactly. Very good example. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I got that right. I was like, hold on, that sounds like every time you go to court. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even when you're in court, I mean, uh, the judge is what? The judge becomes um, um, an administrator in the court. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so even the judge, hey, listen, man, the, this equity thing goes in a lot of different directions. And that's why one of the, some of the examples earlier is that equity go both ways. You want equity, you got to get that shit. So, so you you can't not give me equity and then think you're gonna get it too. That's like if if you owe if you owe somebody and then you know you something happens and you can't pay them back and then they turn around and they they put a hit on you a contract on you nigga that's not equitable. What was the equity there? Right. But then, but 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 um, we live in a fucked up world. People do shit like that, but that's not equity. Yeah. I'm just saying, it's just got to be given in all manners. A judge has got to give you equity in the court. Why? Because he wants equity. That's why he got a bond. Why he took a, he took an oath to give you equity, but he also took a bond to give himself some equity just in case some shit happens. Because he don't want he don't want you hitting his 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 pocket, so he took a bond out just in case you do hit his pocket. Cause he wants some equity too. He don't want to. He don't want to lose his house because he fucked up. Okay. Got you. And that would be him operating under his oath properly, right? That would oh, be yeah. his. Uh, that would be his equity standpoint, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which we, you know what I'm saying? We see that happen more than often. You know what I'm saying? Happens a lot. It happens a lot. You know, I, this is such a broad topic. You know, and I and I understand that it, for some people it's confusing. You know, and, and for the sake of it, you know, trying to make it easier. You know, I use the examples of people, you know, taking out loans or stuff happening with people's families. You know, with property, estate, probate, shit like that, because it's easy to understand equity in those instances. But it can get complicated. It can get more complicated than that. So it's really up to, to to everybody to really study this shit, you know, a little deeper to understand it. Because we're talking about trust, folks. A breach of trust can be done in a lot of different ways. And I talked about foreign trust tonight, too. 
So equity yeah, applies right, to right. foreign countries. That's right. Yeah, it definitely hurt. I was thinking equity about applies um, across the board. Yeah, that's why uh, uh, you talk about when you do the third party joint, when you see the third party debt collectors, automatically they're not coming in with uh, equitable or clean hands because right off the back they're using fraudulent uh, information to make you think that you owe them a bill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Unfair. What is it? Unfair practices. Unfair practices. Unfair deceptive practices. Yeah. 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 Yep. Consumer law has equity in. You Mm -hmm. know, dealing with your credit report has equity. That's why you can sue debt collectors when they do shit that's not equitable. Yeah, I can do. Yeah, I can do an attorney. I was talking to an attorney, and he said to me that I had legal rights to do certain things under the statute, right? And I, and I and I had to stop him, and I said, "Well, that's fine. I said the statute's fine, but I also have equitable rights too, right? Under equity law." And he had to agree with me. But but one of the things that, for whatever reason, we tend to forget is is the fact that equity really takes it takes precedent and trust. Equity's got more precedent than trust. Where Matt? Yeah. It's like it's a not slave, me saying that. Slave master for equity. That ain't gonna happen. And listen, I, I like uh, uh, Alex, like that one that poet said, "I'm not your Negro. <laughs> ain't no slave here." <laughs> yeah. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Straight up, ain't no, ain't no slaves here. But hey, listen, it is what it is, man. You know, it, it, because it, either we get this right, or, or we, or we spend years trying to figure it out. And I don't think anybody wants to do that. I think we want to figure yeah, it out. Right. So we can do it right. We can do. Yeah, exactly. We, we can do things right the first time around. Hey, what um, what trustee handbook was you reading out of? Um, so that information that I got, you know, just a second, I'll give it because I, I got information from a lot of different sources tonight. Um, but the information that I was given that I kept telling people to reference is coming from just a second. Uh, Restatement of Restitution Act, nineteen thirty-seven. Some of it came from 812. Um, some of it came from Snell's Equity. Said resetment of Restitution Act? Yeah, it, 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 it comes from, and I'll say, it, I'll say it one more time for you. Restatement of Restitution Act, 137, uh, subsection 140. Where a lot of that stuff starts. This is and then Snell's handbook. Snell's handbook. S N E L L S N E L L. Got you. Snell handbook. Oh, Doug, God, I appreciate that. You do my research. Oh, absolutely, bro. Glad to see you back home, man. Definitely. We'll catch these shows again, man. 
Man, I ain't got no choice, man. You know, I, you know, this is supposed to be giving out this information, bro. So I'm here to do that. Right. You know, <clears throat> straight up. Tell a friend to tell a friend. That's bet, man. You know, it's going pass it right on. I ain't went nowhere. I got, you know, family Family come first, man. I take care of, you know, stuff for my old man and stuff like that, man. So, you know, that come first. But I'm yeah, here, though, man. I'm here to. Yeah. yeah, thank you, brother. You know, but I'm here, though. So, you know, I um, I just want to make sure that, that this uh, this is a good topic. We'll continue this topic next week, though, because I'm, I'm going to do one more remedy section before we get into the next set of information I'm going to give out. But, you know, take a listen. Go back and listen to it again, man. Maybe it'll. You know, you hear something that that strikes strikes a chord with you. That's facts. Gotta yield the floor, God. I'm gonna listen back. <clears throat> okay, God. Right, Peace, too. brother. All right, that's what's up, man. We got 90 seconds. We get on brother here. Uh, I'm gonna say peace to y'all. It was a good show. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday for the metaphysics show. Man, I hope y'all enjoying those metaphysics shows too. Um, we're going to be going into the Law of One. This will be the next section of the Law of One next week. Um, if you did not hear it, back to the archives and check it out, man. Powerful information with the Law of One. All right? All right, with that being said, man, I'm going to out of here. I'm going to say peace to the gods. Take you out with a little key glock. Let the band play. Let the band play. Back at it again. Yeah, I told my niggas quit playing, let's run up the end. Yeah, I hop in some back through the dash, I'm gone with the wind. Yeah, I'm rolling up, blunt back to back in the big bag of beans. Yeah, money got me in the trance, I'm going in. Pocket full of bitch, I'm in. Everybody watching him, he balling again. Damn, God broke the rim. Better put that shit on film. Bitch, I got skills. Young nigga flexing on gym. Don't give a fuck how you feel, you know what it is. 